Father, we have one in front of you in the seat back. The past scripture is on your bulletin as well as on the screen. So let me tell you kind of where we're, we're headed over the next uh, three Sundays here. So just like I said earlier, we are one congregation of, of four here. We've got a congregation that meets down in the Midtown area on Shelby Street. We've got a congregation that meets in New Albany. We've got a congregation that meets in the St. Matthews area. And we've got our obviously here in J-Town. So the kind of normal mode of operation for us, in case you're new here, is that we We'll pick a passage of scripture, a book of the Bible, and we'll kind of work through it over several months. We kind of usually, not always, alternate between the old and the new. But two times a year, uh, we set aside some, some time where we can kind of speak into life for church. So three Sundays in January, uh, we'll spend some time talking about vision, direction, what we're doing here. Three Sundays in August, we'll usually spend some time just talking about specific things that's going on in our congregation. So those, those happen twice a year. So all, all the sermons are different. And all congregations, just depending on what's uh, going on. So, what I want to do over the next three weeks is I just want to talk about families, all right? And talk about uh, uh, parenting uh, specifically. So, uh, yeah, some of you here are single or you're not married, you don't have any kids, or you're, a lot of you here are empty nesters. And so, I'll come to you in just a minute. I promise you there's something for you in, this, in these messages. But this is what I want to do over the next three weeks. Today's foundational work. Like I got. I can't stress enough how important what we're talking about today is, because if you don't kind of hear and embrace the foundational work that we've got going on today, when you come back next week, next week you'll receive it either as, you know, I'm a big failure, I'm a big loser, and you won't step in, or you will think it's the secret sauce of parenting, all right? And I don't want either of those, that's why the foundational work is very important. So next week I am, I'm going to come back and... And I want to hopefully give you something that you can take home and begin to do in your own home. Because we convictionally believe that the primary disciple makers is mom and dad, not the church. Like we have a part, and we'll talk about that this third week. We have a part to play, but the primary disciple makers in the home of the children are mom and dad. Don't freak out about disciple making. It's a big word. Everybody gets like weirded about all that kind of stuff. I promise you, I wanted to give you practical tools of what it looks like, no matter if your kids are four or 18, of what you can do as a mom and dad to step in and nurture the faith of your children or your student, whatever it is. But, say it again, what we're talking about today is so foundational for you to come back next week and receive it in a healthy way that's healthy for your kids, all right? And then the last week, we're gonna come back and talk about like this, um, like how do church and home partner together? So like every year, twice a year, we, we covenant with families. We come alongside them and help them with their children. And we stand and covenant together as members, and we walk out here going, I don't have a clue what I'm supposed to do, right? Like, what does that mean for me to covenant with this group of families that we're coming together? So what I want to do when we come back to the 20th is kind of talk about how does church and home uh, partner together? How do we lock arms together and do this together? What I've learned, this is... You know, 20 plus years of ministry, what I've learned is that we have a tendency as parents to overemphasize our influence in our kids' lives and underemphasize the church's influence in the kids' life. Or it's the other way around. We underemphasize our influence in the kids' life and we overemphasize the church's influence in the kids' life. And I just want to say, we need both. I need a third voice in my kids' lives. I need 20-year-olds that are following Jesus that my kids can look up to. I need 70-year-olds that are following Jesus that my kids can look up to. I need a third voice, and that's what the church comes and does for the family. So 
And I pray you stick with me. All right, stay with me. Even if you're not a parent here, your kids are long and gone, and you're loving having an empty home. I, I, I do think the Spirit of God can speak to you, no matter what text we're talking about, as well as what topic we're talking about. So I'm pretty stoked about it. I don't know if you guys are, but that's okay. All right. So hopefully by the end of the message, you'll be stoked about it. Amen. All right. I don't even use stoked that much, but I just use it right now. I'm like, I kind of like that word. I'm bringing it back. So, all right. Here we go. Let's stand together in honor of reading God's word, Luke chapter 15. Starting in verse 11, and we'll read down to the end of the chapter there, verse 32. And Jesus continued, there, there was a man who had two sons. The young one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate, so he divided his property between them. Now, long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said this, How many of my father's iron men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put on him, put on a ring on his fingers, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And we began to celebrate. Now, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? The servant said, Your brother has come home and your father has killed the fat calf because he has, he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry. He used to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill a fat cat for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and was alive again. He was lost in his found. This is the word of the Lord. It's pretty good. Uh, we, we, we ask for your help, Lord. Sometimes when we talk about parenting and families, it just it just ignites all kinds of stuff, man. It really does, Lord. Sometimes, man, a lot of us in this room, including me, don't really know what to do with this stuff. So, man, may your spirit bring whatever healing, conviction, encouragement, whatever needs to happen. 
And this morning, may your spirit bring that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. If you're a parent in this room, and I'd ask you to say, like, write down one word or, or maybe a couple words that describe how you feel as a parent, what would you write? You had to write down one word or maybe a couple words of how you feel right now as a parent. What would you write? I skimmed through a, a little book this week. Here's the title of the book. Parenting, this is in quotes, parenting is your highest calling and eight other myths that trap us in worry and guilt. That's why I picked it up about that. I was quite interested. Say it again. Quote unquote, parenting is your highest calling and eight other myths that trap us in worry and guilt. In this book, she talks about a, a well-known family organization that did a, a survey of a group of mothers, and the, the most frequent comment from the survey was that mothers feel like failures. Mothers feel like failures. Another thing she writes in here, she talks about a well-known author that went and did a kind of like a parenting seminar, a parenting thing. And one of the things that she noticed as she was doing the seminar is the, the, the level of guilt and insecurity that was amongst the group. And so she stopped and just said this basically, <coughs> if there is anything that they did not feel guilty about, as a parent, is there anything that you do not feel guilty about? And in that moment, there was silence. Let me ask you, what's your word? What's your one word? What's your two words that you feel right now about parenting? But here's what I want to do. My, my desire today really is, is that, is that I don't want you to feel your lack. I don't want, to, want you to feel your failures. And I don't want you to feel an enormous amount of guilt this morning. I, I really desire that you would hear from the word of the Lord, that you would hear from the Spirit of God, and you would feel encouraged, and that you would feel empowered to step in and be the mom and dad that God has equipped you to be and called you to be. That's what I'm after here, and I'm praying that the foundational work that we do this morning will help you step into some of the practical work that we'll look at next week. I'm just like, my heart for you and my heart for for me, is that I don't want you to kind of walk away here thinking about that one word. That one word is, I'm a failure. I lack. I'm not enough. I've blown it. I can't do anything right. I, I'm, I'm full of guilt. If that's your one word, my desire for you is that that's not how it kind of ends. I pray that you would feel empowered and encouraged here. And, and maybe, you know, my prayer is that you would enjoy your children like you never had before. It's so interesting that sometimes we forget that these children are a gift and a reward from our Father in heaven. I know sometimes they don't feel like a gift, right? They don't feel like a reward. They sometimes feel like a kind of a goofy joke or something like that. It's like, are you, are you the real God? I think sometimes because we put so much pressure on ourselves, we are unable to really enjoy this. So I'm going to lay before you here from this text. I think these are two lies 
that we've got to continually kill in our parenting life. This is not a one-time kill. This is a continual kill. There are two lies that are in this passage of Scripture as well as in the whole of the text that is going to help us, hopefully, Lord willing, to be empowered to step in and do what I'm talking about next week. So these are two lies that we're going to consistently recognize and put to death. Here's the first lie. And so, like, I know I'm going to get some objections, but just kind of stay with me. You know, calm that inner, inner lawyer down a little bit. I'll, I'll come around, all right? Here's the first lie that we're going to put to death. And that is this. Good parenting always creates God the children. Good parenting or godly parenting or finding the right way to parent will always guarantee godly kids. That's the first slide that we're putting to death. One of the greatest myths in parenting is this, that parenting creates the child. I'll say it again. One of the greatest myths in parenting is that parenting creates the child. Please Please don't hear me say what I'm not saying. Sometimes we have a tendency to go to the extreme of some of the things I say, so please hear me. Not saying, look, there is a responsibility that we have as parents. We have a responsibility to nurture our kids, to train our kids, to love our kids, to discipline them. Yes, that is on us. So I'm not saying by this statement here that you don't have an influence in your kid's life, that you don't have a responsibility to nurture them and grow them in the faith in Jesus Christ. Like, yes, you have that. What I'm trying to put to death is this, this simplistic formula mindset that if I get A and B, I'm always going to get C. As if parenting is some kind of secret code that I've got to crack or some kind of secret sauce I need to find out about. And if I get that and I put this into practice the right way, then I'm going to get godly, awesome, amazing kids. And I just want to say this. There is nowhere in the Bible where you get that guarantee. Nowhere. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, some of you are going, There's a little passage of scripture called Proverbs 22 6. And I've read that, and I've actually read some books about that. Man, there's some promises made in there, right? Isn't there? Look what it says there. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Well, here's, here's the thing with Proverbs. Yes, there's an imperative here. Yes, there's a command for you as a mom or a dad. You are to train your child in the way he should go. You have a responsibility to nurture, train, direct, Put them in the right path. But the second half of this verse, when he is old, he will not depart from it, is not a promise from God. It is not a guarantee. Now, how do you know that? Because the book of Proverbs is wisdom literature. Generally speaking, that is true, but it's not always true. And I'm telling you guys, if you do not read the Proverbs as wisdom literature, then you will be really frustrated and bitter with God. Because the book of Proverbs are not written as promises to you. They are, yeah, they're wonderful ways of living, but they're, they're, they're wisdom literature. Generally speaking, if you do A and B, you're going to get C. But when you live in a fallen, broken world, you get Ecclesiastes. Amen? And you got to read both. Because we don't live in a simplistic world. We live in a sin, broken, fallen world. That, yeah, generally speaking, if you train up a child the way he should go, they will not depart from that. But that's not a guarantee from God. Now, some of you may go, well, maybe, maybe.
maybe you're trying to read into something there to make yourself feel better as a parent, right? Isn't that kind of what you're doing? Maybe that's kind of a wrong interpretation. No, it's not. And the reason why I say that is because we see it here in this parable. Now I know some of you are going to go, well, well, that, that, that parable is not written about parenting, right? Jesus is not doing the parable of the prodigal son to talk about parenting. Yeah, I get that. And that is not his primary purpose. But at the same time, what Jesus is doing here is he's giving us a picture into the heart of the Father. He's helping us understand who God is and how he relates and how he acts. And so what we see in this parable is also seen reflected in the whole. And what we see in this parable is this is a dad who's a good dad. He's a good father. And we don't know all the ins and outs of what's happening in the homes, right? Everybody's got their problems. But this dad is a good dad. Just based on his interactions with his two rebellious sons. You don't have just one rebellious son, you get two rebellious sons. One is really obvious. He's taking his money and says, hey dad, shut off. I don't want you to have any kind of relationship with you in the morning, but I do want your money. He goes off and squanders in a crazy living. And then you've got the other rebellious son who stayed home and obeyed all the rules. But now he's bitter, right? So here's two rebellious kids that are the fruit of a good dad, a good father. And what we see in this parable is also reflected through the entire Bible because what God continually reveals himself as a parent. He says, I am a father. And so if we're going to say, wow, man, look, good parenting always produces godly kids, then let's put God to that test. Adam and Eve? I don't know. It didn't seem to turn out real well, did it? Right? His first kids? God is a good gracious, kind, amazing Father. We got Adam and Eve, and we're in this junk, this brokenness that we experience in this world as a result of their rebellion, basically telling God, hey, you got it, God. We want to do our own thing. But if you're not convinced of that, what about Israel? God calls Israel his kids. And they're a train wreck, right? We read the book of Exodus. It's like rescue you out of Egypt, and about 10 minutes later, we're going, pick us back. We hate God, we love Egypt, like the world, right? What about you? God's been a good father to you. Have you obeyed all his rules and his commands? And you said, yes, I'm walking that way. Or have you been like me in a season of rebellion? Said, shut off and do my own thing. Look, we can't even put God to the test we put ourselves and others to the test, right? Godly parenting doesn't always guarantee godly kids. And just in case you kind of think I'm off my rocker, we'll look at other examples in Scripture over and over. What do we see? We see, this is the things that's frustrating, I think. We see evil moms and dads producing good kids. And then we see good moms and dads producing evil kids. You're going, like, what's the connection here? I mean, we're going to get into the life of David here in a couple weeks, and one of the things you see there is Saul's a stinking psycho, man. He's like psychotic. He needs to be in some kind of straitjacket. Put him in a hole, right? The man is a nutso, but look, he's got Jonathan. Jonathan, 
the king where it should have been mine because I'm the son of Saul. Man, this is a guy who's got great character. Dude, you're going, man, I want my son to be like this. But he's a product of Saul, right? Make the connections here. Godly parenting doesn't guarantee godly kids. I've been student ministry for 20 plus years, guys. I'm, I'm here to tell you, man, a lot of these kids are now in their 30s, some are in their early 40s, and I can bring you six kids up here right now. Six kids. And give you their, their different family dynamics, and this is where they are. I can bring one up here right now. He's a doctor right now. He's got a wife and three or four kids. They love Jesus. They're involved in their church. And when he was a teenager, his mom had an affair. In my mind, I'm going, man, that's going to be a train wreck for this kid. Man, now we see like it's totally different. I got other other families where they where they love Jesus, they brought their kids to church, they had a godly home, but now their kids don't have anything to do with church. They don't get rid of Jesus, they remain in the faith. I got others who grew up in a home where you know mom and dad were marginally connected to church, and now he's in ministry. No, for some of us here, this may not be very encouraging, but I'm going to get there. Just saying, look, all I'm trying to say is this. Yes, we are responsible for how we parent. Yes, I'm not trying to downplay your role, but I am saying this. There's nowhere in the Bible where we get this guarantee that if I'm a godly parent, that I'm going to get godly kids. The line is not so straight from the fruit of your kids to the way you parent. It's not. And for some of us in this room, we, we think, well, I, like, I need that. You know, like, that doesn't help me. That's not really encouraging. Like, I need kind of a guarantee. I need to know that if I do X, Y, and Z, I'm going to get this. I need to have some kind of promise that I can hold on to. That if I'm a godly parent, do a good job, I'm going to get good godly kids. What, like, if you're not saying that's possible, then what do I have to hold on to? I'll give you something to hold on to. And that is this, that God is the one who's in control, you are not. That God is at work in your kid's life. That God loves your kids more than you love them. That he's going to be faithful to them just like he's been faithful to you. That he's going to use in some mysterious, crazy way, all the ways where you've been successful, right? There's been times in parenting where you go like, man... I think I just kicked the field goal for crying out loud. Love that, right? You want to play that moment over and over and say, yes, I did it. Let's just kind of keep this here. And there's other times when you've just blown it, right? And in God's mysterious ways, he's using your successes and your failures to bring about a good work in your kid's life. That's what you hold on. I came across a quote from another book. I, I'm not going to say nature because I don't want to like you know, the anybody or whatever. But man, I tell you what, this fired me up. Fired me up. This is from a Christian book. And it says this. You have 13 years to win or lose a spiritual battle in your child's heart. Seriously? Like, I don't know about you, but if you're a parent, does that, does that create, like, oh, empowerment and encouragement? Does that make you want to step in? I would argue it makes you create fear in you. It creates you to be paralyzed. You're going, oh my goodness, I've got 13 years and that's it? And I just want to say that's absolutely bogus. It is, guys, because in this flow, we're making way too much of ourselves and too little of God. Thank God that God didn't give up on me after the 13 years in my home. 
He's not going to give up on your kids. God is the one that's in control. I encourage before you look, chill out. I mean, I know it's like to sell any books, but I don't give a rip, right? Nobody's going to buy the books. Just chill out on your parents and you'll be okay, right? Remember about serious, radical, yes. No, it's like, I'm not trying to, like, you know, make you lazy in your parents. I'm just trying to say, Lord, God's at work. God's at work. He's doing something in your kids. Enjoy them. The pressure is off. I'm not trying to get it right. And somehow I'm missing something and my kids are doing this. No. Well, you have a responsibility to be faithful. But look, godly parenting doesn't always guarantee godly children. I'm telling you guys, this is huge for us when we step into what we talk about next week. Absolutely huge for us. Because if we think, well, what we'll do is like, oh, that's it. That's the secret sauce. Here it is, right? This is the code. I got to crack. I did all these things. I do these right, and I'm going to get. No, no, no. We step into those because that's our responsibility as a mom and dad. We leave those results and the fruit to God himself. So, line number one godly parenting does not always produce godly kids. Number two, and I've mentioned this before, so I want to kind of unpack this. Second line is justification through parenting. Justification through parenting. So what in the world do I mean by justification through parenting? It's kind of a big word and what's going on here. Look, look in this text, all right? Look, look what goes on here. So you got the younger son in verse 11 who basically goes to his dad and says, I want your inheritance. And, and what he's, he's saying there, right? This is not like stretching it. What he's saying is, I want you dead. I, I would rather you be dead and me have your money. I don't want to have a relationship with you. I don't want to be in your presence anymore. Just give me your stuff so I can go and do my own thing. That's exactly what this younger son is saying here. So like even within our culture, in our society, like that's disrespectful, it's dishonoring, it's hurtful, all those kind of things. But you multiply that about 100 in a culture and society where the dad basically rules and his reputation and his you know status within the community is really built upon how his children turn out. And so now you've got a younger son who's saying, bug off dad, I want you dead, I want your money. And then you've got an older son in verse 28 who's refusing to go in. Like if you're a parent here, you've experienced the opposite of that, right? When your kid refused to go out and you're dragging them out of Walmart, right? The wall of walk of shame. You know what I'm saying? Like, but now we've got an older man who's refusing to go into a party. Can you imagine the kind of whispering and how embarrassing this is? Oh wow, he, he's really going with his kids. Look at the craziness. That's going on in there. Oh, he must have some deep, dark, secret sin that's going on in the home to have these two kids. Now, why do I know people are saying that? Because I've said it. And so have you. But in this culture here, you've got to think about what's at stake. His reputation, his respect, the status within the community. And hear me. Use your imagination. If the dad is finding his value and his worth 
and his enoughness and how his kids act and turn out. Value, worth, enoughness, synonyms for justification. If he's founding his value and how his kids turn out, then listen to me, this scene turns out totally different because now this becomes about the dad instead of it becoming about the kid. So if I'm finding my justification, my value and worth, and how my kids turn out in a moment when it needs to be about the kid, now it becomes about the dad. Are you following what I'm saying? But if I find my value and justification not in my kids, but in Jesus Christ, then when it needs to be about the kid, it's about the kid and not about me. See, guys, if you're in Christ Jesus, then look, you are freely and fully satisfied. Jesus is your justification. And when Jesus is your justification, like this is not a one-time deal. This is something that's going to get deep in your own soul and in your own heart. It's a continual reminder. But when he becomes your justification, you are free to learn. You are free to grow. You are free to mature as a parent. And what do you, what do you mean by that? I mean I'm free to learn. Well, look, guys, I don't know about you, but any time that I encounter someone or some kind of teaching that exposes my lack and failure in parenting, what do I want to do? I want to dismiss it or avoid it. Now, why do I want to do that? Because if I'm finding my value and worth and how my kids turn out, and then someone is exposing my lack and what I'm not doing, then I'm not going to mature and learn. I'm going to dismiss and avoid it. And when I don't mature and learn, not only am I hurting myself, I'm also hurting my kid. This week, my, my brother was in town uh, with his family, and I'll tell you what, man, my brother's like a, a, a 50-year-old that's in an eight-year-old body. He's got tons of energy. It's like, dude, man, I, I'm exhausted from spending a week with my brother. I got a two-day nap for Friday. He is wanting to go do things, get things, wake up this big old huge inflatable over out of the lake. I'm just like, man, I'm, I'm tired. Man, can we just sit down and just talk? What about that? Is that okay? So we, we, we went uh, into Louisville one day. The family went to half price books because he had a box of books he wanted to kind of get some money for and stuff like that. So we were in there looking around. Uh, and I ran into a guy that I hadn't seen in, in several years, which we did a camp together actually. And we just like connected and caught up with each other. And he's got three kids, three boys. He's got a, uh, an African American 15 year old that they adopted. And he's got two uh, biological little boys. I think they're 11, 9, and 10, and 8. So both of them have red hair, and he has red hair. And they're huge buttons, man. They're cute little guys. And so as we're catching up, his boys are down there looking at books, kind of like in the little, little kid section, stuff like that. And so we're talking, and then we're kind of wrapping up our conversation. And here comes this, I think it was this 10 year old, the oldest one, uh, the little boy. He comes up there, and he has a little book. He has a book called Muhammad, Muhammad Ali book right there. He shows it to his dad. He says, Dad, I know you can buy this book, but should we? You didn't see my face. I'm one. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> like, what in the world's going on at home? Where this kid, should we for real, right? And this is on top, this is kind of how it works in family. This is how God does things. This is on top of us. We we're just at Chick-fil-A just a, a little bit ago and you know, trying to get our family together and you're, you know, get in there, get our food and stuff like that, and our food's happy. And say, whoa, whoa, man, let's, let's pray together, right? Let's, let's stop and try to pray for this food. And, you know, any, any kind of prayer using my young kids are like, okay, I'll pray and say, you know, thank God for the food, amen. And we're just diving in. And in the corner of my eyes, I'm trying to, you know, say, hey, happy food, let's stop and pray. Here's a teenager that works at Chick-fil-A, gets his own meal, on his own, stops, 
and praise. And then I had this conversation where this kid, should we buy this dad? And like, what's the internal dialogue going on in my own soul? You're a big failure. What in the world are you doing in your home? Like, you can't stop your kids from inhaling their food before they start praying, right? Like, what in the world are you doing? So, like, look, it's, it's a continual growth even for me because if, if, if I'm finding my justification in Christ, my worth, my value, I can walk away from that conversation and say, wow, this is an opportunity for me maybe to grow. Maybe there's some things I can learn in this situation without feeling like a failure exposing my life. Or I can just say, you know what? That's their family. You know, God's put them together in a very unique way. You know, I can put it like that. It's okay. It's okay that my kids eat half of food before we pray. It's not like they're failing. You know what I'm saying? Like, if, if my justification is in Christ, I can walk away from those conversations and learn and grow and mature and not have these crazy internal dialogues. Sometimes I feel like church is one of the hardest places to raise kids. It's so ironic. Should be one of the most grace-filled places to raise kids. I'm sure a lot of you, maybe not on 10 Sundays, you walk out of here feeling like a big failure, don't you? It's not like when you go to Walmart, right? If you hang out at Walmart long enough, you'll feel good about your parenting. Yeah? <laughs> if you don't, just tell your spouse, hey, let's make one more lap. Come on. One more lap. You see it like run. We get to the door, right? We feel good about our parents. Run, right? The reason why it's a hard place is because God inevitably choose family members for us. Like we don't choose this family God does, and inevitably is always bringing someone along the path that seems to have it all together, and the kids all have it all together. And then He'll also bring along the path a family that might be like a favorite. What God wants us to do in that moment is not to feel less than or more than. You follow me? Not to feel less than, I'm horrible, I lack, I'm not doing a good job, or superior. Wow, look how much better I am. No, 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 no. Let's put both those families in your midst so you can continue to grow. So you can learn from both of them. And the only way that will happen Listen to me. It's when you realize your value, your worth, your nothingness is in Jesus. Jesus is your justification. Not only does it help you learn, but lastly, it helps you love them. I know some of you are going, well, I, I love my kids. I love you. And so does God. Here's the question that I'm encouraging you to ask yourself. Does your love feel conditional? So if I'm, if I'm finding my value in how my kids are doing and how they're turning out and their behavior, if I'm finding my worth in that, look, I'm just, I'm just telling you, your love will feel conditional. I mean, that's the most beautiful things in this passage is what 
whole point of this passage is, is it's a beautiful display of the Father's love of two rebellious kids. I mean, you see this in the first, you know, verses 20 to 24 with the, with the younger son. Here's the dad kind of on the porch looking out. And he's, you know, we don't know this for sure, but there's a good chance he's going out there daily just looking, is he going to come back? And he sees his boy way out there. And what does dad do? Dad hikes up his skirt and he runs to him. And they wore skirts back in that day, so I'm not weird here. He runs to his son. And I know that sounds kind of like normal for us, but listen to me. In this time, that's a cultural no-no. We like me going out here climbing a tree and waving goodbye to you guys as you're walking out the door today. You want to go, wow, I was in a tree. That's awesome. Stay you are. Well, I said, that guy's a nutcase. Well, I'll need some medicine or something, right? Well, the same way here is dad doesn't care about cultural norms because that's my boy. I'm going after him. I love him. The Bible says he kissed him. It's not just like a, a little peck on the, on the cheek or whatever. No, he smothers him with kisses all over his face. He's getting kissed. He's probably nasty and dirty because he's coming out of a pig pit for crying out loud. But it's a display of the love that this father has for his boy. And then we also see the display the love has for the father, the, the son that's all old and bitter and upset, right? Because he comes out there and he, and he talks to him. He, he, he treats him with tenderness. He comes out and entreats him. Look, 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 come in. I'm pleading with you to come in. He didn't walk out there and go, boy, get your rear end in here. I'm going to give you something to cry about. No, he goes out there and pleads with him. He treats him as a son. It's a beautiful display of love. And so listen to me. Listen, guys. Look, your goal in parenting is not to get your kids to obey you. You follow me there? Your primary goal in parenting is not to get your kids to obey you. Yes, obedience is important. Yes, but your primary goal in parenting is to love them in such a way that they taste the love that the Father has for them. That's your goal. And when that happens, guess what? Obedience comes in, it comes in the back door, right? It happens. But if you make your goal obedience, you ought to crush your kids. Your goal of parenting is to give them a taste. You can't, you can't fill us in full because you're not God. But you can give them a taste of what God's love for them is. This un- Conditional, sometimes irrational. And that can only happen, guys, when I realize and go deeper in this reality that Jesus is my justification. That I find my worth, my value, my enoughness. I don't think that's a word, but who cares? My enoughness in Christ, because when I get that, then I'm able to love them in such a way that's about them and not about me. Let me ask, I don't know what your word was at the beginning. Well, what if you replace that word with chosen? What if that's the word you took? Just looked at it every day. I'm a chosen child of God, and that began to take root. What if your word is forgiven? Forgiven. 
don't know about you guys, but man, sometimes as you get older, you look back, you see the same thing you did with parenting, and it's like, my goodness, you just kind of walk in this, this cloud of guilt, and our oldest is getting ready to move to college this coming weekend, and it's kind of look at the span of this 18 years, and I'm only looking for one man. Gosh, there's some things we did really well. Boy, you did some really stupid stuff, man. You read that dumb baby wise book. Goodness, that was so dumb. It's like, man, a lot of torture our kid. He's like crying for 45 minutes. All the game on there, and that's what I'm doing. Then they won't sleep. Like, what kids are going to eventually sleep through the night? My goodness, they're not going to wake up at 13 and not be able to sleep through the night. They want you to come and hold them and rock them to sleep. I'm like, insanity of that. Sometimes I need the word for me to be forgiven. Forgiveness. It's been really changing my demeanor and my presence and my peace. If your word is enough, if your word is love, if your word is worthy, if your word is cherished. Not, this is not a psychological battle. This is, this is what Paul means. Set your mind on things above. It's what it means. You're justified in Jesus. You're loved. You're forgiven. You're chosen. You're cherished. You're enough. You're worthy. When you take those truths and you give them to you in your heart, I you God, it'll change the very atmosphere of your home because it's changing you. It's changing you. Two lies. Godly parenting doesn't guarantee godliness. But we can hold on to the reality that God is in control. He's a God who loves kids to death more than you do. And he's the worst. We're going to put to death justification for parenting. Now, our justification is found in Jesus, in Jesus alone. And when we, when we find that as our foundation, our root, and it frees us to learn, to mature, frees us to become kids. So if you're a Christian here, I just, I just want to encourage you, like, like, which of those two resonate with you most? Which of those two really kind of like, really gravity, gravitate toward, you struggle with, and maybe you need to have your spouse or a close friend or someone to kind of help you discern which of the two. And I just want to encourage you, just bring that before the Lord. Say, okay, God, here's where I'm at. This is what's going on in me. Now I want to be different. Please help me. Help me to, to see who I am now in Jesus. Help that to get deep on heart and soul. And my prayer as you do this is that you would begin to enjoy your kids. Like, like you just kind of stop freaking out, right? You chill a little bit and enjoy them. They are a gift. They are a reward from your father. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. My encouragement for you is just to say, like, what is God doing in you right now in the midst of your parenting? I hear this all the time. This is that mom or dad that hey, we're getting back in church because we want our kids to be in church. And I just want to say, hey, that's commendable and that's awesome, but maybe God is actually wanting to do a work in you, not just in your kids, and he's using your kids to begin to do that work. And part of that work is to break you of your independence and help you to see your lack and your failure and your need to be a call out to a Savior. Thank you.